Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron is up this week here in our 10th episode. What are you bringing to the table today, my friend? Well, first, I'll have to put in some air horns. Please in, do. Uh, in post-production. Please do. Um, yeah, here, here we are in the 10th episode. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I'm bringing We Will Not Cancel Us by Adrienne Marie Brown, uh, which is a booklet, I think is what she calls it throughout. Yep. Um, and it's focused on what cancel culture means. Uh, and how it does and does not align with uh, transformative justice uh, and a shared vision for our future beyond, beyond our so-called um, justice system. Uh, the book is divided into a few different connected essays. So I'm just going to talk about those really briefly right okay. here. Yeah. Um, the first is called Bringing Abolition Home, which was kind of a reflection on her own learning journey and publishing the, the uh, initial essay on her blog back in the summer of 2020 that um, that essay led to the publication of this booklet right um and so the next one is called unthinkable thoughts and so that is the essay that she wrote um and so that's the part where she challenges the ways that so-called cancel culture or call-out culture plays out in um movement spaces uh and then there's an essay called we are still beginning um that seems to be uh one part of it at least is her reflections on transformative justice as a concept uh and 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 sort of that and, and building on that. Right. Uh, and then she closes out with this sort of, uh, it almost feels like to me a free form poem mm -hmm. um, called We Will Not Cancel Us. And it's about two pages. Um, and I feel like it sets a vision for how we could be accountable to one another uh, in this really creative way. Yeah. yeah. Like a vision. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I, folks, I loved this booklet. Uh, so I'm really glad that we're talking about it today. You know, don't get me wrong. I've been excited about all the media we've had on the podcast, but you know, this one for me was really incredibly, uh, moving and, and special. And so I, I definitely encourage folks to check it out and read it. Mm. And I think it's super relevant and timely given that this notion of quote unquote cancel culture is out there more in our society and is sort of gaining more and more attention in the media. I, I'm, I'm sure folks may have, have heard it and seen it out there. Um, you know, just the other day, in fact, there was a Republican congressman, <coughs> I believe his name is Jim Jordan from Ohio, uh, at, you know, and he was out here calling for a congressional investigation into the notion of cancel culture. And, you know, I think his argument uh, was that he sees it as dangerous and, and limiting to free speech. But if you read what he actually wrote about it, sort of in the two page thing he wrote, um, asking for requesting this um, investigation, there's just so much hypocrisy in it. And there's also hypocrisy in so many other similar arguments made by other Republicans given sort of their, both their actions and their inactions, uh, their, their statements and their politics on other issues, especially issues that are related to social justice and collective liberation. Yeah. 
um, I think you name an important point about hypocrisy there. Yeah. Um, I also haven't uh, read or watched it. I Googled it really quick um, before we started um, talking today. Uh, and the first thing that came up was like a CPAC speech that yeah. maybe he gave. Oh, and so yeah. maybe that's kind of, yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't consumed any of that. Yep. Um, but I will say, I think having a congressional hearing on cancel culture is ridiculous. Right. Um, and I think it's a, it's actually a diversion. Like it's a tactic mm. so that we stop talking about holding people accountable for the insurrection on January 6th. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, I think, you know, and to sort of reframe this question or this, this conversation a little bit on what cancel culture actually means. Cause I, it sounds like he doesn't get it, right? Uh, which right. makes yep. sense. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say why. Um, but, uh, canceling someone is a tactic that's supposed to be used against the powerful, right? right. It's somebody who's, right. uh, abusing their, their power in some way, or, um, uh, just has bad behavior, uh, harmful actions or behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think of course, people who are in power are, are going to have their feathers ruffled by yes. it. Have a little um, issue with it. Yep. Yeah. Maybe, you know, call for a, um, a congressional inquiry yes. into what cancel culture is. Um, as though it's, it's, um, you know, some kind of like McCarthy thing, mm. um, which is weird cause that was all in Congress, but yep. you know, uh-huh. um, and so I'm talking about the red scare there in case, uh, McCarthy thing wasn't <laughs> clear. Um, so it's supposed to ruffle the feathers of powerful people, right? It's about calling out someone or something like a corporation or something, their harmful actions and or behavior um, so that more people are aware of it and can make more informed choices around things. Or we can just know like, Oh, that person um, does X, Y, Z. That's really harmful in these ways. And you know, maybe now I won't vote for them or support them or um, buy their products. Right. Um, So, you know, it's almost like an extension of a boycott tactic, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's connected to that. It's related to that. It feels like to me. Um, so I don't know. I think it's canceling is generally used by regular people uh, against the powerful. Powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I also love that you said uh, that maybe this sort of inquiry, as the word you used, is mm-hmm. a diversion. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, both about the, the sort of the coup and all the things that are hap- that are happening. But, right. um, you know, as we talked about last week, we can't even get this study on HR 40. So, you know, there's other sort of real important work that I think needs to happen. And this is not one of them. Right. Yeah. Um, so when I think about all of that and sort of this idea of what canceling is and, and what cancel culture is, I think that's one of the things that makes this booklet so great is that, you know, Adrian really gets to what cancel culture is sort of, mm-hmm. sort of generally and broadly, but also what it is, I think, within the context of these past few years and, and especially in the pandemic and why it's so important that we think about the culture that we want to exist within our movements and our vision for our movements and for our society, right? Like, yeah. and, and that to me is beautiful and and the more important conversation that we need to have as we engage in this work you know she adrian starts the booklet by talking about abolition and emergent strategy which is certainly her areas of expertise Mm -hmm. and and how she has felt us sort of stepping more and more into the punitive and how she feels so strongly compelled to push us 
uh, to work to embrace this abolitionist view in both our small scale work, but also our broad interactions so that this notion of transformative justice is possible. And I love what she does. She shares examples of what punitive actions and punitive justice has meant for us and, and how it's manifested itself in our society, right? Like from corporal punishment sort of generally, but also of our children in our schools and our educational system to how our criminal justice system is a failed system with its roots in slavery, which we've talked about on this mm-hmm. show before, mm-hmm. um, to how punitive justice has been manifested as supremacy, as white male supremacy, as ableist supremacy, and she names a few other uh, supremacies, if you will. And, and all of that does so much harm to us as individuals and to us collectively and, and to our movements. And so, you know, when I was thinking about this and, and I think sort of given all of that, one of the things that Adrian says early on about all of this and about cancel culture, and I think this sort of says it all. She says, and I'm quoting here, we won't end the systemic patterns of harm by isolating and picking off individuals. We need to flood the entire system with life affirming principles and practices to clear the channels between us of the toxicity of supremacy to heal from the harms of a legacy of devaluing some lives and needs in order to indulge others. And, and I just, I love that. I I think it really helps us to think about what's necessary in this work. And, and after I read that again, that sort of quote I just read was really early on. I was, I was hooked and it left me sort of wanting to read more. Yeah. I think this book is uh, really inspiring. Yeah. And throughout it, she's naming uh, the ways that we're socialized into that punitive or, um, yes, punitive sort of nature or patterns of punishment to, um, right? Like she's naming the ways that those systems of punishment haven't served us well, like you said, yep. um, or, and how they're also, you know, founded in, um, the toxic parts of our history, mm-hmm. uh, in this country too. Um, so I love that she's naming all that and then pushing us to sort of think beyond those systems and find new ways to exist with one another and hold each other accountable. Um, which I think is a big part of transformative justice. Yes. Um, is, you know, how do we, uh, and abolition, how do we, uh, create community centered solutions to the problems that we face as a community? Um, that's outside of the realm of, you know, our current criminal justice system. Um, yeah, and it, so, you know, one of the questions that she asked herself prior prior to publishing Unthinkable Thoughts um, on her blog, mm-hmm. the original essay, was can we hold each other accountable, or sorry, can we hold each other as the systems that weaken and distort our humanity crumble? Mm. And that feels like an amazing guiding question to yes. ask each other collectively as we're building new things together. Yeah. Um, so I, I think... Um, yeah, that I, that was an amazing moment for me. And then another piece that was um, a little bit later uh, that feels connected to me is uh, she says, it feels like we don't know how to belong to each other, mm-hmm. to something big and collective and decolonizing. Um, and I think so for me, I'm like, what does it even mean to belong to belong together to yeah. each other, to something big and collective and decolonizing? I don't know. Mm. Um but I think it's important because it challenges us to think, rethink 
sort of individualism, uh, which is so ingrained in the U.S. and in Western sort of culture. Um, and so it shifts us from thinking about that and thinking about me and the like lowercase we mm-hmm. of like who are the people immediately in my circle to like a sort of more uppercase we, um, the people. Um, and so it's encouraging this kind of community-based mindset or approach to life and living together and and uh, sort of cooperating with one another um, t- in a in a broader community, right? right. Yeah. That's, I think that's powerful. And I love the sort of connections you made there and sort of the personal connection you made there, right? Because I think that question, sort of trying to look at the notes here, you you said, she says, can we hold each other as the systems that weaken and distort our humanity crumble? Like, Right. That that is such a powerful question, right? Like as we look at sort of the what's happening around us and we think about what's most important, it is it is the we, it is the people, right? Um, Yes. We're in this together, right? And so how do we... How do we hold each other? How, but also, how do we hold each other accountable? And I think she talks about that a little bit here mm-hmm. um, as as everything is sort of maybe falling apart. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, speaking of that essay, one of the most powerful sort of chapters or sections, I don't know what she really calls these, uh, of the, the booklet, in my opinion, was her revised version of it, right? right? So that the full title of it, I think, was Unthinkable Thoughts, Call Out Culture in the Age of COVID-19. And after I read it, I think there were sort of two major things that stood out to me. Um, the first is that in this chapter, I think she's just so beautifully vulnerable in what yeah. she shares. Like... I mean, for one, she's literally sharing some of her, her quote unquote unthinkable thoughts. All right. And so, you know, if you haven't read it yet, you can sort of imagine what that might be. Right. And I think she was just really raw and honest uh, and, as I said, vulnerable with us about it and about her lived experiences uh, and sort of thoughts and feelings and reactions to what she's seeing in the in the world. And I just I really appreciated that as someone who, as I've said before, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Right. I appreciate sort of the power of vulnerability. Um, and, you know, she talks about how she's writing this booklet in the midst of the pandemic, right? It's July, 2020. And, and she is really sort of moved by what's happening in the country at the time, right? Like she's describing the U.S.'s response to the pandemic and her, and I, and I think our collective anger and, and hopelessness and, and disappointment with it. And, you know, she connects that to a common experience that we have in this country around how supremacy and patriotism and selfishness, and we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. in America often lead to our own destruction, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the pandemic and the response to it is a clear example of that, right? Like the, the pandemic and everything that has happened during it has been incredibly difficult and traumatic in so many ways for so many people. You know, I, I think we've, we've certainly talked on this podcast before about some of the privileges you and I have and we've had in terms of our ability to navigate this pandemic safely, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't affected us. And it certainly had just this devastating effect on the collective us for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, over a half a million people are dead. And we just crossed that threshold recently. Yeah. Um, mm. And so, uh, you know, by the time this is published, there's going to be 
a lot more, more. folks who have passed. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge collective trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I also think that the pandemic has exacerbated some of the ways um, that division in our country was already present. Yes. Um, right. And, you know, we've talked a bit about the pandemic in a variety of essays or uh, episodes uh, and topics so far. Uh, but people wearing masks, for example, is a community oriented action. Yes. Right? It's me as an individual trying to protect other people from my potential illness because I don't know if I'm sick yeah. or not. Right. Right. Like, cause because of the way that um, COVID-19 uh, plays out in, yeah. in us, we, we don't, you don't know for a few days if you're infected. And so um, it's just this kind of constant guessing game that for me always felt like, well, let's play it safe and just pretend that I have it. And so I'm going to wear this mask to protect other people. There's a little bit of protection in it for me too, but absolutely. um, You know, it's more effective at preventing my germs and my stuff from spreading outward. Um, And so, um, you know, just thinking about that. And even now there's so much and there has been so much pushback against that um, concept, that notion. Um, and I think there's been a lot of pushback against expertise yes, because people are, are crossing expertise with authority mm-hmm. and they're pushing back against the authority of this, um, of whatever it is, uh, crushing their so-called individual rights. Right. Um but yeah, so it's just, it feels like another piece of this division that mm-hmm. she's kind of naming um, is, and the pandemic sort of exposed a little bit more about that. And we've talked about other ways, the other things that the pandemic has exposed even more, like, right, with We Still Here, um, yeah. we talked about that book and so many, um, I think, other other pieces that we've talked about uh, throughout uh, our 10 episodes now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 10. Yeah. I, you know, I, I appreciate you, uh, mentioning the, the mask thing. I, I told Aaron this, I'll share this, you know, this morning I had a doctor's appointment and I, an, an actual in-person doctor's appointment kind of rare these days. Uh, and I wore two masks. I doubled up my mask, right. To go into the, the doctor's office. And my doctor actually commented on it. You know, he said to me, he was like, well, you're wearing two masks. That's so great. Um, and you know, I, I said to him, I said, I, I, I'm just trusting the science, right? Like this is what they've sort of recently recommended that we do is that we wear, we double up the masks. And, you know, he's kind of chuckled and looked at me and said, yeah, you know, um, I don't know that we fully know and understand its effectiveness. Um, And, but so whether or not it helps is one thing, but it certainly, it certainly doesn't hurt to wear two masks. And I thought, right, exactly. Right. Um, Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm out here wearing double masks. I'll encourage folks to do that too. Um, well, the CDC did start recommending it. So yeah. it's, if you're going to wear a mask, um, they, they did start recommending two. Yeah. So, so if you needed to hear it from, you know, a reputable source like the CDC, if, if my, if my right. word wasn't enough, mm-hmm. uh, it may be both. How about that? Um, yeah, both and Damien both Franz and the <laughs> Center for Disease Control recommend wearing two masks. I feel so honored to be in that company. Um, so, okay, let's get back. What, you know, what also stood out to me, I think, about that Unthinkable Thoughts chapter was the work that Adrian does to name the destructive power of call-outs and, and cancel culture um, 
and also to name when it feels most powerful and effective to engage in a call out. Right. And I and I think that this is sort of a central part of the book and sort of one of the biggest things that I took away from it. Um, she talks about how call-outs have a long history of being a great strategy for marginalized folks to stand up to those with power. And you just referenced that, right? right. Like that that's sort of when it is most effective and really sort of what it is meant to do is to call out these folks who have power and have abused their power, right? And and how call-outs have been an effective way to apply pressure to corporations or institutions and uh, powerful people, right? On behalf of oppressed individuals and, and communities to get justice. But she also names sort of the damaging power of call-outs in our movements, especially in what she saw during the pandemic. And I think that this is, this is I appreciate her perspective on this, right? Like how they can be and, and have been used to shame and humiliate folks and okay. how call-outs can be and have been used as a response to conflict and how that oftentimes really just isn't effective. And, and that's, and that for me was really powerful, right? Like, where is the line? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Adrian does a fantastic job in trying to get us clear about that and really examines the use and power of call-outs, which, again, I just appreciated. And, you know, I will definitely encourage folks to, to and I have encouraged folks to, to read this booklet because to that point, I think at the very end of that chapter, she shares some of the questions that she sits with when she's asked to engage in a call out. And I think that's just an incredible resource um, for folks if you're asked to you know, uh, engage in a call out as she has oftentimes been. Um, you know, what are sort of the, some of the questions you should consider in that, in that moment before engaging in that? Yeah, I um, remember that list of questions. It is, um, it's a long list, yep. but it's yep. full of powerful, um, powerful, reflective sort of guidelines, guides for for um, for calling calling out. Um, yeah, I think um, you know she names the ways that we use callouts to try to engage with the conflict, um, and that doesn't really engage with the conflict or maybe a harm that's mm. been caused. Right? Yep. It doesn't really do much with that. Um, and I think the dynamic that she names, which I mentioned earlier, was sort of a pr- the oppressed against the powerful in terms of a call out. Right. Um, yeah. And not so-called regular people mm-hmm. pitted against other regular people yeah. in terms of engaging uh, in calling each other out. Um, right. And I think we're also talking about sort of more than just saying, hey, what you said hurt me. But oh, like yeah. it's sort of more like a public you know, tearing somebody up on Twitter or, right. or whatever, a more public version of, of that that doesn't leave space for much uh, in terms of like conflict uh, resolution or even navigation mm-hmm. of the conflict. Yeah. Um, and so I, and I think that that is, and she names it, it's easy for us to slip into that kind of behavior because it's a pattern of punishment uh, instead of learning and transformation and accountability and holding each other um, as right, she said, we said earlier, the, the systems around us crumble. Yes. Um, and so she notes throughout the book that punishment, uh, is not a long-term solution to harm. And then yeah. frequently this sort of person to person canceling or call out, um, looks like punishment right. instead of looking like a transformation, uh, in, in terms of somebody's learning about 
the harm that they caused and uh, finding new ways to be. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful and so important as we think about sort of the distinctions of uh, what you're seeking to do there with that call out, right? Like if you mm-hmm. actually are intending for it to be an opportunity in a, in a space for some learning, right? Like yeah. you have to think about the ways and you do, you, you do that. Um, and again, just wanted to highlight again, the questions that she sort of poses and, and, and provides and shares in that chapter, I think are just, you know, spot on. Um, one of the, one of the other parts of the booklet that I think was incredibly profound for me was actually something that she says early on in it. I think it was in the first chapter. And it's when she talks about her vision for our shared and collective future, for our individual humanities, and and for the movement. And I think what she's basically saying here is like, this is why I wrote this booklet, and this is my hope for us, right? Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to share her words because they they moved me and they reminded me of why all of this is important. And, and I'm going to preface this by saying this is a bit long, but I think it's totally worth it. She says, and I'm quoting, I have a vision of movement as sanctuary, not a tiny perfectionist utopia behind miles of barbed wire and walls and fences and tests and judgment and righteousness, but a vast sanctuary where our experiences as humans who have experienced and caused harm are met with centered, grounded invitations to grow. In this sanctuary, we feel our victory, where winning means a mass and intimate healing, where winning isn't measured by anyone else's loss, but by breaking cycles of abuse, harm, assault, and systemic oppression, where winning is measured not just by the absence of patterns of harm, distrust, and isolation, but by the presence of healing and healthy interdependence. When we are skilled at being honest, setting and honoring boundaries, giving and receiving apologies, asking for help, and changing our behaviors, where every day we can access the feeling of ease in our guts and calm in our jaws and shoulders, where we have trust deep enough to grow from conflict, trust that good intentions can yield good practice and radically reduce, even eliminate harm, when we trust that we are in such regular practice that we no longer have to be vigilant, to police or punish within our communities. In order for movements to be rooted in love, we need to be able to have conversations as survivors, thinkers, workers, and shapers of the future where all of our experiences can feed our learning. Abolition is the idea that resonates the most to me, both as a survivor who wants to break cycles of harm and as a human who wants to belong to my species, to my planet, to my time in the journey of evolution. And... Yeah, I you know, I loved that. I mean, there's some pieces in there that I was like, I feel like she's talking to me, right? Like this mm-hmm. asking for help mm-hmm. and all of that. I was like, oh no, I feel attacked. Uh, but in a good way, right? In a, <laughs> in a, in a truly moving, powerful way. Um, and I, I just love all of the sort of sentiments that she shares in it, right? The, the fact that she centers her vision here in humanity, both our sort of individual humanities and our collective humanity, and that love plays a clear and central role in this vision and our work with one another. I just, yeah, I, I think her words here are are profound. And like I said, I was just moved by them. Absolutely. Uh, I thought that part was was great. Um, and really, because it was so early, kind of set a tone mm, for yes, the rest. Yes, Um And I think that uh, this this uh, other piece I want to pull in from the book is, is uh, 
at the very end. Okay. And so to like me, that. it's like a bookend yes. um, of it. Uh, and so she ends with, we will not cancel us. If we give up this strategy, we will learn together the other strategies that will ultimately help us break these cycles, liberate future generations from the burden of our shared and private pain, leaving nothing unspeakable in our bones, no shame in our dirt. Each of us is precious. We together must break every cycle that makes us forget this. Mm. Um, and so I just feel like that's such a, a beautiful way to end the book and feels connected to the other stuff we've talked about. Yeah. In terms of like, um, and I'm sort of paraphrasing from another work of hers, um, but you know, finding the cracks in empire yeah. in, um, and, and finding new ways to exist in those cracks um, with one another in community. Uh, and this feels like a, a call to that and um, a vision towards that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about application. Okay. Um, now that we've talked about the, the, the booklet for a little bit. Um, so this whole thing feels pretty applicable to me. Absolutely. Um, I, I think Agreed. Uh, given <laughs> Um, sort of my own um, worldview and orientation to the world. Um, I think that it's about uh, connecting to and unpacking our relationship to punishment mm -hmm. um, and how much that's been ingrained in us, right? It's a pattern that we um, we think about how we respond to bad behavior or harm, mm -hmm. and, and it's usually around punishing people yeah. uh, and thinking of that as some form of justice. Um and so, and that's in our everyday lives too, mm -hmm. right? And so I think one of the things for me is like, you know, how are, how does this apply to our everyday lives? How does this apply to the ways that we end up um, intentionally or unintentionally punishing our loved ones mm -hmm. uh, for the ways that they might have hurt our feelings or other small slights um, and things that happen, you know, in relationships? Like, right, there's there's always some kind of like, friction in relationships where yeah. it's a, I feel like conflict is a, um, I've said this to, to students before a conflict is a, um, universal human experience. Yes. Um, and how, how we manage that and avoid punishment within that, I think is, um, how this book, I, I, one of the ways that I see this booklet applying to, uh, our everyday lives. Um, and cause it's also finding, it's, it's um, asking us to find uh, new ways to be accountable to and with one another. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, because I think you're right. Conflict is this universal experience that we have as people, right? And, you know, I love that you mentioned sort of talking to your students about it, right? Like, but that's not to say that you've arrived at that, no, right? right? Because we're always sort of learning and growing in that area, right? And we enter into new relationships. And circumstances of our own lives change and then may impact the relationships that we're in. Right. And so conflict is just this thing that is always there. And so this idea of how you navigate it and sort of, as you say, um, do it in a way that isn't punitive yep. is so important. Right. And, and in terms of the preservation of your healthy relationships with the folks that you're in relationship with. Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. I like that. You know, I think my idea around application is connected to what Adrian talks about in the Bringing Abolition Home chapter. 
And it also kind of connects to something we talked about last week in our conversation about the Seeing America HBO special. And that's how all of this applies to conflict and to mistakes or or missteps, if you will. You know, I was really compelled by how Adrian shared her thought process and reactions to the negative feedback that she received on the original version of her Unthinkable Thoughts essay. And in the same way that I think Nicole, Hannah Jones, and Hassan Minhaj modeled how to engage in a conflict or disagreement in that HBO special last week, you know, Adrian modeled for us what to do as well, right? She says, and I'm quoting here, I do not, cannot see myself through anyone else's lens, but I can listen to what others experience, balance it with my heart, and widen and focus my view. I welcome your critiques when I am being unaccountable or less precise than is appropriate for the content at hand. And I want you to know that whatever mistakes I am still making in these pages, in these years, are not without massive effort to do the absolute best I can do. I will not be perfect. I will keep learning. I will also not be silent. I will keep learning. So I love that she says that learning piece twice. But I I, I, th- I think that's powerful stuff right there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, sort of modeling just as they did in the in the documentary or special. Um, and so when I, when I think about application, I think about how there's always room for learning and growth in moments of discomfort and challenge in our mistakes. And I would encourage all of us to sort of apply Adrian's good thinking around this to, to our everyday lives. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think that part is really, uh, poignant and, and touching as well. Um, and I think, uh, accepting that we're not perfect is easier said than done. Mm, right. I think that's a practice too. Um, because perfectionism is one of the cornerstones of white supremacy culture. Um, it's something that's kind of ingrained in us in a lot of ways. So letting go of that, um, in order to acknowledge that we're going to make mistakes and feel uncomfortable in those mistakes and challenged um, by them is uprooting some stuff that's like deep, deeply implanted in in us. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about homework. All right. Um, I feel like there's always more to learn, Mm. uh, which I think... uh, Adrian Marie Brown just reminded us about. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think my homework homework is to continue to learn more about transformative justice, mm-hmm. uh, both um, in, in a few different ways. Um, and there are a lot of resources out there for learning about it. Um, Mariam Kaba just released a book called We Do This Till We Free Us, mm. um, which is um, released by Haymarket Books. Um, and... Uh, they just posted on Instagram actually that they're not allowed to uh, uh, promote that book huh. uh, on Facebook at the moment because Facebook's banned political speech. Oh, um, wow! In the wake of the election, um, so uh, yeah, spread the word on that book because Facebook says Facebook is being Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another book called Beyond Survival, which has a bunch of contributions from a lot of different people um, doing transformative justice work. Um, And that's published by AK Press, I believe, Mm -hmm. which is also the publisher of We Will Not Cancel Us. And uh, I think all of Adrian Marie Brown's work. Um, So that's two good publishing houses, Haymarket and AK Press. Um, And then the uh, Bernard 
Center for Research on Women has a great series of videos on transformative justice and what it looks like in everyday practice. Um, so check that out too. Um, if you search, it's on Vimeo. So I think it's okay. uh, Bernard Center for Research on Women uh, and Vimeo. You'll come up with some some results there. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, it makes sense now. Aaron was talking to me a little earlier, folks, about lots of books out there uh, yeah. now <laughs> and that he's you know excited about all these books out here and now i see what he was talking about um that's great uh we can add those to you can add those to my my reading list too <laughs> i think um for me homework this week from this booklet is around what adrian talks about towards the end of the book um, she talks about how we all have work to do and she says that and means that a number of ways i think you know the the work we have to do is difficult and the work we are doing is we're doing it in these complex times, right? And so um, so there's that sort of as the context. And one of the things she says is, and I'm quoting again, uh, we must all do this work, be accountable and go heal simultaneously, continuously. It's never too late. And that statement, that simple statement to me is gold. I, th- I think the notion of simultaneously and continuously engaging in self-care while also doing the self-work involved in all of this is so damn important. And it it reminds me a little bit of our conversation in a previous episode about healing movements as well. You know, each of us has to hold ourselves accountable to learning and growing, as we've talked about many times, but we also need to take care of ourselves along the way. And and self-care certainly may look different for each of us, obviously. But, but all that to say, my homework for myself, and I invite you to join me in this, is to think about what accountability and healing looks like and to hold space for both of those things in this work. Yeah, I think that, um, it, that piece about accountability is a really powerful reframing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's pointing accountability back to ourselves. Um, you know, so often we talk about accountability. We're talking about how we're holding other people accountable. Right. Um, and that feels like an important shift that she's bringing here. Uh, and that a lot of people who are talking about transformative justice are bringing um, to the to the discussion. Absolutely. All right. So uh, you all have your homework for next week. Yes. We, we have our homework, too. Absolutely. Um, well, not next week. Ongoing homework. Yes. Um, all right. And so next week, Damien is up. And so what are you bringing to the table next week? All right. So next week, I'm bringing a documentary to the table for us. Um, it's called The Soul of America, and it's currently on HBO. If you want to watch it and join us in our conversation next week, uh, it's it may sound familiar. It's based on the 2018 bestseller by John Meacham of the same title. Uh, and it follows John as he sort of explores this country's current political and historical moment by sort of looking at its past. And so I pulled like the the brief description from the website. So I'm going to quote that here. Part political documentary and part biography, the film recognizes forces of hatred and division as recurring themes in American life, but ultimately gives hope that the lessons of the past may bring the nation closer to achieving its democratic ideals. So that's what we're going to watch and we hope uh you will join us in our conversation yes absolutely i'm excited for that um all right uh we want to thank you for joining us today and listening to interdependent study whenever 
and wherever you have listened to this. Um, You know what we want you to do here, but in case you have forgotten, please go ahead and subscribe, leave us a rating and review, uh, share our podcast with your friends, your enemies, your family, whoever. (laughs) Uh, And of course, follow us on social media. Um, And also don't forget to send in any kind of media suggestions you might have for us uh, as we continue to uh, learn more from each other and from the, the stuff we bring to the table. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, friends, so much for listening to Interdependent Study to our 10th episode here. There's something about the 10th episode, folks, that uh, we're just really excited about. Uh, It's a milestone. (laughs) It's a milestone. And we are very, very happy to to have achieved it. Uh, And remember, folks, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. 